I'm Rabbi Amy. I'm Pastor Ken. I'm Imam Islam. This is Kippah, Kufi, and Color. Our guest today is Imam Abdullah Antibli, a professor of Islamic studies at Duke University and the founder and teacher of Muslim Leadership Initiative at the Hartman Institute. We're uh, talking this week about change and shame. Last week we talked a little bit about uh, like when to let somebody be wrong and when to say, okay, I can't just let this go anymore. And today we're talking about how to welcome folks when um, when they're at that point where they realize they're wrong, when someone realizes they're wrong, and, and how you invite that person back into community and back to make things right, and particularly around what you do with the shame that's involved. I think shame is when we fail to notice that this, there's a spark of God within each one of us, when we are so down on ourselves that we feel like there's something flawed about ourselves. And we've lost track of what's holy and pure and beautiful because we feel guilty or we feel troubled by something that we have done and we don't know what to do about it. It's not not like everyone makes mistakes. That's a shame. Mistakes are, uh, mistakes are you know, can be done by anyone everyone everyone is vulnerable to make mistakes but when you know that you're making something you're doing something wrong and you're insisting on it i think that's a shame you know in my in my experience uh i found shame to be it's it's it can be both i, I i'm really with you amy on uh on this idea that shame can be destructive or shame can be up. Uh, I, 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 I guess I agree with this on that. I think shame can sometimes be helpful. I grew up, uh, there were certain hate words. There were certain forms of hate speech when I grew up that were totally socially acceptable and that I was encouraged as a, as a Christian, that was totally okay for me to say. Um, and particularly during sporting events could say incredibly hateful things at sporting events. Mm. Um, and I remember one day crossing a line. Actually, I remember one day using a, 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 a hate speech in what I thought was a joking, funny way. And unbeknownst to me, there was somebody right next to me who was affected by that speech. Mm. And I could tell that person never said to me, you just said this and you were talking about me. I could tell as soon as I looked at that person that I had just spoken against that person. And I was so ashamed. And I've never said, but I've, but I've never said that word since. Like there was action with that. Like I'm not, and I changed my views on a lot of things because it helped me realize how destructive my behavior was. But it took that emotional experience for me to, process what I was doing. People could have told me a hundred times, you shouldn't say that. That's that's not politically correct. Or you shouldn't say that. That That's not nice. But it took seeing someone hurt by what I said to experience the shame uh, that, that created change. So that's about finding your moral core. And fortunately, you had a moral core and it was touched off. 
by the sensitivity you had towards this person sitting next to you. It doesn't always work that well for people. That people can carry that shame around. They can feel ashamed and just carry it around as a feeling about themselves. Or if they if it touches them in their moral core, it can prompt change. So how do you help people change? So if you have somebody come to you who's who's been shamed by the community or who is feeling a sense of shame, how do you help them deal with that? I mean, the most important part, like what you said, if he feels uh, the shame, and that's the beginning of, of the healing, then, then we can work something out, we can make a plan. You know, he will definitely, uh, over the time, eventually he will go to, get over it, uh, get out of this shame. Uh, but the problem is if he doesn't feel the shame and he thinks he's right. right. In my opinion, that's, that's a problem. Right. Although everyone else see him uh, in shame, but he's the only one who see himself uh, in, uh, not in shame. That's that's the that's problem. when the problem is. That's when the problem is. Right. If he comes to me and he said, "I feel ashamed for what I, for what I did," and help me get back to the community, that's uh, definitely I'm gonna stand by him all the way until the end. That's a person who made a mistake, and hey, we're all we're all you know well, we're all sinners. We all in one way or another can come up short. But if he if he still thinks that he's right. And everyone else is wrong. And this, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know what to do in that situation, though. Right. I'm just gonna tell them that you're wrong. So two ways we can get stuck. One is if we don't feel shame, we can get stuck because we think we're doing everything right. The other way is if we just if we feel shame but just get stuck in it and don't know what to do with it. Right. It's paralyzing. And and I think that has to do with the um, psychological strength we may have from uh, our upbringing and. Um, how we have learned to understand ourselves and and to appreciate the importance of these um, opportunities for self-improvement. Some, some of us are better at that than others. I, I want to say that um, being with people who are dying or with family members of people who are dying, the most beautiful experiences of one's passing are when there is no unfinished business, when there isn't guilt or shame right. about something in the past. Right. And uh, then people can just let go and there's a sense of completion of life. But when there is a feeling of shame and it comes to the end, the struggle can be so profound and it's so painful to watch. And fortunately we, might have an opportunity to help in those circumstances sometimes. Sometimes we can't. Oh, you just, you just made me realize this third way of being stuck in shame that I think for me might be the worst, which is when I recognize, when I feel shame for something I've done wrong to someone else, and maybe I, I don't get stuck in it emotionally, but I don't ever do anything about it. I just learn to live with it being uh, pretty much okay. Mm -hmm. I think that, for me, that's a stuckness that's really, really awful. Right. So in our tradition, we have something called a tochecha, which comes out of the Torah. That is, you should rebuke a person who deserves to be rebuked. That we have a responsibility towards each other, and this is what you were talking about, Islam, to point out when a person has behaved wrongly. We're, we're not supposed to let each other off the hook. So one role that we can play is 
to point out where a person has done something that needs to be addressed. But it's important that it's done lovingly and not as pure criticism. And sometimes, because shame can come from a place of deep emotional insecurity for some people in some or in some circumstances, what a person needs is a big hug. You feel them, you make them feel that you have done something wrong or um, um, they have done something that, you know, so bad or disastrous or whatever. It actually make the, may make the problem worse. That's right. And then if you do the way, the same way you're doing now, that's, that's great. That's mm -hmm. the way. Uh, I think that's very wise to do that, to mm -hmm. do it this way. But that's not how we operate. Like, that's just not, like, I was sitting there, as soon as you said that, you're like, uh, about criticism being provided lovingly. Like, you just shut down our political process. <laughs> like, that's not how we, that's not how we politic at all, right? That's not how we We Facebook. don't politic very well, do we? We do not. Yeah. We do not. So how do you, let's say somebody's listening to this in their car, and, and they're going to a job where they know their boss is doing something that they really should be ashamed of, maybe exploiting another worker, or maybe... Uh, harassing uh, an employee, uh, what do they do with what we've talked about? Like, they feel like their boss should experience some shame. Their boss clearly isn't experiencing any shame. But it's also unlikely that criticism will be taken lovingly. Yeah, and certainly when you're in a hierarchical situation, the tochecha, the rebuke, is problematic. Unless there's an environment that's shared where everybody can talk about how they behave together. Wouldn't that be ideal? It just doesn't always work that way. And then there has to be a response on the part of the individual that, that is a bit self-protective. What do you think? I, yeah, I think that's... Um, I like that well, the way you said it first when, when you give people a big hug. Well, it doesn't work in all situations. It doesn't. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Particularly somebody, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Like what you said. Um, but I think there's a, also a polite way of pointing out to, to people if they, if they are um, higher ranking than you or whatever. Uh, they can voice your um, voice your opinion out to them and saying this is uh, this is shame. Or um, there are good expressions can be used. I mean, I'm thinking about Harvey Weinstein. Yeah. I mean, he, you know, he was harming many women and all felt afraid to do anything about right. it because he had so much power over them. And so this was not an opportunity for some redress, but it ultimately became a necessity for it to be dealt with in another way. Uh, but that's not the ordinary and normal situation that we find when we wrong each other or when we observe wrong behavior by somebody. And if we can deal with those smaller offenses on a regular basis lovingly, we might we might actually be addressing the larger ones by shifting our culture and um, infusing more kindness into our communities. So what do you do when uh, you have somebody, let's, let's, uh, so, so a serious offense. Uh, you, you said if somebody comes to you and wants to change, you'll be with them to the end, right? But, but what if the person who they hurt just wants them to be punished, does not want you to be with them to the end, wants you to punish them, exclude them. Says that person hurt me so bad, they can never really change. You can't ever believe that that person will ever change. Like, how, how do you deal with, with, with that conflict? Uh, we can work something out. We can, uh, 
I can convince that person to give him one more chance and see like uh, if he's gonna change or if he can uh, they both can come and and meet in in the in the middle somehow to make a you know bridge the gap between them. Uh, I understand his rights to be offended and his rights to be that he wants that person to be excluded because of what he did to him. Uh, in the meantime, the person made a mistake and he was like to to make up for it. So see how serious he is. If he's really serious about making up for his mistakes and changing his behavior to the better. And in this case, I will start to work in a workout on the other party to say, okay, hey, I understand what has been done to you is very bad. But in the meantime, we want to make sure it doesn't happen to you again or ha doesn't happen to anyone else. Right. So therefore, we have to work it out with this person. Uh, if we punish him, it will, it may, he may do it again. If we exclude him, he may go to other communities and do the same thing again. So I think we are working on the on the on the right uh, on the right path now to try to make things better. And, and I think he will be uh, uh, he will be uh, he should be okay that if he knows that the person is changing. And he gives him an apology. Apology, and and I mean, it should be it should be, it may not be hundred percent healed, but it will be a step towards healing. And and I believe this is the 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 job of the of the community leaders. It should uh, as much as they can to accommodate all everyone's needs. It's right. impossible to accommodate everyone's needs, but right. as, as much as they can to, you know, to create a common ground between people. Yeah. So what you're saying is that there are times when when we may need to say to somebody. You need to apologize. Hmm. You need to apologize. We have to say it to them when they may not want to hear it, but we have to say it to them as lovingly as possible. Yes. The people who really care about me are the people who will tell me when I'm not being my best self. That's right. Yes. That's, that's right. That's, there's one uh, prophetic saying about this. There's the, the, uh, you are the, the true mirror of your, of your brother. Yeah. Actually, the mirror is just so an actual reflection of who you are. Uh, yeah. That's actually that's the people who care about you is actually the people who are like your mirror. We're not gonna lie to you. It is my great pleasure to introduce my friend, Imam Abdullah Antepli, who is the Muslim chaplain at Duke University. Uh, yes, he, he will tell us more about himself, uh, but he is also the founder of uh, a groundbreaking project called the Muslim Leadership Initiative at the Shalom Hartman Institute in Jerusalem in partnership with Yossi Klein Halevi, which he can tell us about. So, Abdullah, we're really delighted to be able to be in conversation with you this morning. Thanks so much for joining us. Thank you so very much. Assalamu alaikum. Peace be with you all. It is a distinct pleasure and honor to be with my teacher, with my rabbi, Amy Small, at any platform, but with two of her incredible colleagues and my friends as well. Um, as briefly introduced, I am a Turkish-born Muslim imam and professor of Islamic studies. I came to Duke University about 12 years ago as the university's first Muslim chaplain. I became the Blue Devil Imam, and that title <laughs> stuck with me, but my role at the university changed over time to many different things. I am no longer the Muslim chaplain, but I am a professor of public policy and Islamic studies at the Sanford School of Public Policy now. That's my latest spell. Wow, and it's also a significant part of uh, my life in the last 10 years or so my interfaith and peace building efforts led me to this incredible 
institution in Jerusalem, Shalom Hartman Institute, a religious think tank that has been successfully teaching value-based conversation around Judaism, Israel, to mostly Jews. But uh, I felt an opportunity for North American Muslim leaders to understand the Jewish community as they understand themselves and build this program where we take North American Muslim leaders, which I hope, inshallah, Brother Islam, maybe you might want to join us later, to see if we can do a better job as North American Jews and North American Muslims uh, in the United States. Uh, as uh, all of you might have heard, uh, we have few issues. We have a few obstacles in Jewish-Muslim relations. And it's a good segue to our topic, shame. There is so much shame involved in... Uh, in uh, religious discourse, cross-religious discourse, uh, in our civic culture, in our political culture. Some of it is healthy, some of it is incredibly toxic and destructive, which I'm looking forward to talking with you. So, so that's, that's a great jump off, jumping off point. Uh, you said that shame can be uh, healthy, but it can also be toxic. Uh, let's start, since I think a lot of us have a lot of negative feelings around shame, it's a negative feeling. Let's start by thinking about what are some ways in which you've experienced it as healthy, either personally or professionally? Uh, what are some of those? But your wisdom is incredibly profound, Ken. I don't know why a lot of feelings like shame, anger, guilt, always has pejorative connotation in our mind. Why we always define these feelings by their worst manifestations. Why do we always assign a lot of negativity to these, to these feelings is incredibly important point that we should discuss. They are given to us by God for a function. If he can conquer them, if they can be utilized in healthy ways, it can, it can form our character. It can form our personality. There's a famous, as you uh, might have ever heard, Native American um, uh, story where Native American elder tells the kids of the tribe that when you grow, uh, there, there are two wolves two monsters in you and one of them is evil one of them is good and for your entire life those two wolves w-o-l-f will always fight and the kids immediately ask the elder which wolf will win the good one or the evil one and then he says incredibly beautifully whichever you feed whichever wolf you nurture whichever wolf you invest in and empower I think that goes, that incredible universal wisdom goes to those feelings as well. I think every feeling, every innate human quality like shame, guilt, and others, and anger, fear, it has two walls in them. And mm-hmm. if, the, if the good side is nurtured, uh, and then uh, if, the, if the potential dangers can be tamed and disciplined and uh, chained, it can be an incredible source of uh, uh, positive uh, character formation, ethical, moral growth. I think shame briefly could be explained, which I would like to give a few examples. Um, that feeling that you care about what others say, that you don't want to be seen as uh, list all the negative adjectives, a bad person, horrible person, etc. So I think shame is given... Uh, how many times, if there are security cameras, that you behave differently? There's a famous Turkish redneck joke. A Turkish redneck goes through the red light. And then the policeman stops and says, like, didn't you see the red light? He honestly says, 
I saw the red light, but I didn't see you. <laughs> or I didn't, yeah. I didn't see the camera in you. So yeah. in a way, shame can be an incredibly positive force for us to keep a camera in our ethical moral view that we will be seen by others. Mm. We will be judged by others and ultimately by God, but primarily in this case, human beings, that we would not bring any uh, shame, any uh, negativity or scandal into our lives or into our community, the people that we care. That camera, that security camera, which you only, only be seen us, can be an incredible source of discipline yeah. in taming the bad wolf in us. It's not enough to our sensibility that it's wrong. It's not enough that it's immoral. It's not enough that it will hurt other people. Additional sense that if you do this, you will lose your credibility. You will lose your respect. And you will lose your standing is an incredibly additional source. But this is something like a horse. You should be on it. You should be driving it. You should be controlling it. But if it controls over you, or excessive shame is weaponized right. against you. I think all of us are clergy here. We can be self-critical. Clergy in every religion, like I have seen, I lived in Myanmar. Uh, I extensively traveled to South, Southeast Asia. In addition to Judaism, Christianity, Islam, I studied extensively uh, Hinduism and Buddhism. It's amazing, universal. Clergy has this almost innate ability by definition, by profession, to make people feel guilty for no reason sometimes <laughs> or, or, or make them, their cheap strategy uh, is not to make people do with the compelling argument, but by make people do by making them feel guilty and shameful. When shame is weaponized against you, this is one area of toxicity I would like to talk. Second, if you come from a collective communities like where I came from, like Brother Islam came from, I think Western individualism, privacy, and private lives have sort of shied away from that collective sense. And therefore, in addition to individual shame, if you come from a collective community that your life is somewhat always public, you are always in each other's lives, and the shame will bring a different kind of light into the collective. I have seen it over and over, how incredibly destructive, how scarring, how emotionally devastating, psychologically unstabilizing shame can be. Particularly in that collective environment, you're saying? Yes. yes. I think if an individualistic society, shame hurts you more, shame hurts you one unit. In a collective society, shame hurts you a thousand, not two, not 10, not a hundred, because you now have to not care about your own reputation, your own right. ability to correct that damaged reputation. You have to care about your family, your tribe, your community, your country, etc. So the, the consequences are a thousand times more. Yeah. But doesn't that also lead to um, a greater sense of personal responsibility and compassion within the group that can lead individuals to be on a better path? Absolutely. That's a good way of seeing both the positive and the negative. Uh, I think I shouldn't picture it only as negative. Absolutely. With the recent, um, uh, you know, uh, 
uh, incident that happened in uh, the, the murder of uh, George Floyd. And there were a lot of protests. I'm sure you all know about this. And um, uh, to the point that some people, uh, you know, uh, were went to both extremes. Like some people said, well, let's, uh, you know, defund the police and, and um, start shaming all police officers. And the other extreme uh, is that, you know, uh, you know, thinking that this is within the rights to do that. And, you know, so uh, shame can be like a, identified different, different ways in this, in this area. Uh, uh, what's, what's your comments? What's your intake on this? If you would like to share it with us. That's a very good point, uh, Brother Islam. Shame, in a way, sort of articulates the unspoken gentlemanship and the rules in the society. I don't think shame has anything to do with murder and rape. Like, if you are doing these things, you are just a monster and a criminal. I think a shame aims to tame these... Uh, it's not technically illegal to be rude. It's not technically illegal to be just... Um, Uh, hurtful. Shame tried to just bring the society by these uh, unwritten, unspoken rules. You don't act like that. You don't behave like that. You don't treat woman or man like that or child like that, etc. Shame are associated. What I see in response to the last couple of weeks, I think the partisanship, ideological entrenchment is tearing these unspoken rules. Uh, apart. In some ways, ideological uh, commitment and part ultra-partisanship is, is unfortunately blinding ourselves to the shameful acts that my camp is doing. So I cannot even see the shame in my own camp. If I'm a lefty person, liberal person, progressive person, there's a lot of shameful things uh, are happening in my camp and I'm oblivious. I cannot even see And it makes me extremely more sensitive towards the shameful things happening on my opposite camp, my opponents, my political enemies. This is an incredibly shameful act to itself. This is a shame to itself because shame should mostly be self-critical. Shame mostly should look internally, individually and collectively. What is happening in my community that that could happen better? As you know, in Islam, we have a central teaching, hate It's a destructive force to itself. It usually destroys self, both individually and collectively, before it becomes a source of destruction and violence. And to others, shame is the same, or lack of shame, or unhealthy amount of shame. It primarily poisons you first. It primarily numbs your ethical, moral feelings. There is so much to blame as someone who defines himself as somewhat left, liberal, progressive, religious leader in the United States. I, I, want to, I want to invite all of us to be a little bit more prophetic and critical to our own camp. Yeah, thank you very much. That was a great explanation. Thank you. I was always also, uh, it came in my mind that if someone, for example, called Muslims the T-words or anything like this, as they know themselves that whoever they are addressing has nothing to do with what's going on around the world. So this, this good analogy can be, uh, can be used in, in you know, some, you know, educating purposes and, and, and I think this is something good when we come out of uh, you know just tell the people that you know we know that what happened was something bad and he's getting what he's uh, we hope that he can get what he's deserved what he deserved through the course of justice but in the meantime we should not uh, uh, you know shame all the the system in the Jewish community 
all around the world, no matter what country we're in, what, what, what our cultural context is, there's this sense that we're part of one people and that we are all responsible for each other. So the way I was raised was we'd read the newspaper in the morning. And if we saw somebody who did something bad and they were a Jew, that was like all we talked about all day. Oh, my God. You know, how could this be? You know, it's such a shame on the Jewish people. And that, in a way, was a motivator. Don't ever do that to your people. Like anything, the Jewish wisdom, this 5,000 years old, incredible tradition has over time refined these ethical moral teachings and and developed these certain terms. I don't know if, Amy, you will agree with me. It's very much related to shame. There's a beautiful Yiddish word, shanda. Yep. Uh, it's It's both, it can be devastating and suffocating that what others will do or what others will say, what others will think, but it can be an incredibly powerful force that you individually and collectively behave because how people perceive you or look at you matters. That right. it can add to your commitment to live a decent ethical and, mor- and moral life. And finally, if I may say, maybe it will help our audience. I think we should fight against almost all forms of shame that is shaming people who they are. Any shame that attempt religious, civic, cultural, secular, it doesn't matter that shame attempt to shame people because of who they are, because of who they love, because of what they look like. These are evil kinds of shame. But we should sharpen our shame for bad actions. We should build a culture of weaponizing shame in a good way, in principle, certain actions and behaviors that are in contradiction, that are in violation of our ethical, moral, legal, and civic culture, and take us away and move from this shameful spot where we happen to be. No, that's powerful. That's powerful. Thank you very Thank much, you. Abdullah. Thank you. Yep. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you to the beautiful state of Vermont. Um, looking forward to continuing the conversation over Wonderful. delightful places and hopefully better days. Yes. We'd love Thank to you. see you again up here sometime soon. Oh.